Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of So Are Married A Horror Fan. This is episode 100 and... <laughs> Something. 19? If you forgot what episode we're on. Yeah, yeah, I forget what episode we were on. I forget it. I, be do, I do be forgetting. I, do, I just do be forgetting Let sometimes. I am one of your co-hosts. I am Simon the Forgetful. And I am Lee. The, the rememberer. Also forgetful. The rem- also forgetful. The rememberer. Lee the rememberer. Lee the rememberer. Is... Yeah. So it's episode one hundred and nineteen. It is one hundred and nineteen. It is Simon the rememberer. I got it right. Kind of. This is what happens, guys, when you record episodes up front and out of order. <laughs> so this is the last episode for March, but was actually recorded before all of the others. So, we are time travelling right now. Um, yes, this is episode 119 of the So I Married a Horror Fan podcast. That is a mental sentence to say. Mm. Although I looked at our anchor list, obviously it will be more by the time this episode comes out. When I looked at how many episodes we'd actually recorded, it was 187. Yeah, We are like super close to 200 episodes. Which is bonkers, and it's all down to you guys being an amazing audience. So thank you to everyone that's listened to our podcast, enjoys our podcast, shares it, tells friends about it, gives us likes on Facebook, leaves angry reviews anywhere, tells us that we're shit. All of that stuff, you know, it's all engagement and it's all love. And we love you guys. Um, So, yeah, this is the last episode for March. Which was our first time watch month. This is crazy. This is four movies we'd never seen before. Um, and four movies we will have watched at this point that we had never seen prior yeah. to watching it after we recorded this episode. We had never seen The Cross and the Stream for this month either. No. So technically five movies we'd never seen. Um what are we watching? T- what did we watch for this episode? This episode we watched the 1996 classic. Yeah. The Frighteners. Cult classic. Cult with a C, not with a K. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Frighteners. Yes. Directed by. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> hang on. Written by Fran Walsh and Peter Jackson. Husband and wife duo coming in. And directed by Peter Jackson. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Which is hilarious, because I think you pointed this out when we were watching it. This was the film he did before Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so... You've got his di- filmography in front of you there, haven't you? Yeah, so... Yeah, he literally did The Frighteners in 96. And then he did Lord of the Rings in 2001. Yeah. Mate, <laughs> <coughs> hey, did Lord of the Rings come out in 2001? I thought that shit came out like 2002. Oh no, the second one came out in 2002, yeah. didn't it? Because they came out yearly, didn't they? They did. So yeah, they... Lord of the Rings were 2001-2002-2003. Yeah, and then he did King Kong afterwards, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's mental. Because I... So I guess I guess we should let you do your bit and then we'll we'll get into get into the discussion. Yes, so cast-wise in this film, we have Michael J. Fox as Frank Bannister. Big Mike. Trini Alvadero as Lucy Linsky. Big Lucy. Lucy. Uh, Peter Dobson as Ray Linsky. Dick. John Astin as the judge. Legend. Jeffrey Combs as Milton Dammers. Mate, this guy comes up on this podcast way too many times. D. Walsh as Patricia Bradley. D. Walsh! Uh, Drake, 
Jake Boosie as John Bartlett. Last seen on the podcast in Star Trek Troopers. Yeah. Chi McBride as Cyrus. Lad. Jim Fife as Stuart. <laughs> and then Troy Evans as Sheriff Perry. And we've also got Arlie Ermey in this. Uh, as a fucking weird army sergeant ghost that keeps trying to fucking yes, keep him away from the... Yes, we do. And we also have... Did I say her mum? No, where's her mum in the set list? In the set list? In the <laughs> cast list? Where's curator? Where's her mum? Because she's a relatively big character. Mm-hmm. Is she not at the top of the cast list? No. Lindsay Linsky, Damas, Patricia. There she is, Old Lady Bradley, Juliana McCarthy. Oh yeah, Juliana McCarthy, Old Lady, Old Lady Bradley. And uh, Melanie Linsky pops up in this as a, in a deputy role, which is pretty yes. fun. Because <clears throat> she was in Peter Jackson's last movie before this, which was um, Heavenly Creatures. Fair enough. Uh, so this movie was made on a budget of thirty million dollars. Jesus Christ. And apparently, at uh, Box office worldwide made twenty nine million mm-hmm. three hundred and fifty nine thousand two hundred and sixteen dollars. So it didn't even break even. Yeah. So. And they gave this man Lord of the Rings. What's the synopsis for this movie? Oh yeah, shit. Need that bit, don't we? Uh, after a tragic car accident that kills his wife, a man discovers he can communicate with the dead, and he uses his gift to con people. However, when a demonic spirit appears, he may be the only one who can stop it from killing the living and the dead. Mm-hmm. So, I guess we should start at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, what are your feelings on Peter Jackson? Like, how do you feel as Pe- about Peter Jackson as a filmmaker? So, Peter Jackson made the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which mm-hmm. like, I grew up when those films were coming out. I went and saw them all at the cinema. I went to see them with school as well. Like, they were like end of year school trips. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. Um, so like Peter Jackson for me will always be the Lord of the Rings guy, but he did also make The Hobbit mm-hmm. and Lovely Bones. Yeah. <laughs> Neither of which I'm going to rewatch The Hobbit. I've only ever seen the films once. I'll probably give it another go at some point, but I wasn't that fast on them. And The Lovely Bones is one of the most depressing things I've ever gone through in my entire life. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even 50-50 with Peter Jackson. I'm kind of like, ah, he made Lord of the Rings. It's cool. Yeah. It's about it. That's all my feelings for Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. About you? Um, I, 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 it's one of those weird ones of Peter Jackson. Like, I have seen five of the six Middle Earth movies. Oh, yeah, because you have Because I've seen never seen Fellowship, Fellowship of the Ring. Weirdly. Um... <laughs> I've, I went to the cinema to see King Kong when it came out and I enjoyed King Kong immensely. But then I think that... I think King Kong's one of those stories it's really hard to fuck up and I've always been a King Kong fan. My problem with King Kong is that it is extremely long and there are scenes in it that like don't need to be as long. Like It doesn't need to be like a three-hour movie. No. And like it's really interesting when you look at Peter Jackson's career as like a career of two halves. So when he first started making movies, he was like known as the like New Zealand Sam Raimi. Like he made Bad Taste and he made uh, Brain Dead, which are like gore, gory, splatterpunk, like fucking 
Kiwi movies where dudes are like taking fucking lawnmowers to like zombies' faces and stuff. Yeah. And then he made The Heavenly Creatures, which is a movie I have seen, but I haven't seen it for a very long time, but I remember enjoying it when it came out. Um, and then obviously, I was not interested in The Lord of the Rings. I didn't see my first Lord of the Rings movie until Two Towers came out on DVD. And that was because I got peer pressured into seeing it by like a bunch of people that I work with. Um, so like the Lord of the Rings movies weren't ever really for me. And I'd never seen The Frighteners um, until now, obviously, hence the reason why it's on, on this list. Um, I didn't see The Lovely Bones. Um, and I have obviously seen the last of the Hobbit movies. So... I find it really fascinating that he went from being like this low budget Sam Raimi-esque I'm going to go out and make horror movies with like ketchup and fucking my mates in my back garden to then the the latter half of his career being like these really long special effects heavy like award winning epic like three to four hour runtime movies Mm -hmm. that were like light like life spanning because like they took up huge chunks like you like you you notice that he does he does the john favreau thing like he goes but he does the john favreau thing in reverse where john favreau went from being a very skinny man to being a very successful larger man peter jackson went from being a very large man to like a very skinny man over the succession of like the amount of stress that lord of the rings caused him um but yeah i just i just find it fascinating and like especially if you look at this being the movie that he makes before lord of the rings and like it's it's one of those things like now no shade to peter jackson but there's like a common theme in hollywood where like you get a lot of directors that don't make movies that are very successful And they tend to be like white cisgendered males that then get handed massive franchises because of like a pitch or whatever. Like everybody's talking about David O. Russell at the moment, the guy who made uh, Amsterdam and I Heart Huckabees and all those movies. And people are like, there are allegations against him. And like all of his movies have massive stars in them. Yet all of his movies are flops and people keep giving him money and really famous people keep lining up to work with him. And like, Again, that's not who Peter Jackson is, but there is nothing in the latter half or the earlier part of that, that his filmography that suggests, and this film included, that he could make The Lord of the Rings. And I just find it fascinating that this movie was a fucking bomb and all of his other movies prior to this were <laughs> either art house movies or like gonzo punk horror movies. Yeah. And yeah, he's see, not like he, he didn't have a proven track record no. of being a successful no, director. No, I feel I feel like my relationship with Peter Jackson is a bit weird because although I saw the Lord of the Rings movies when I was very young, and I decided back then that I did not like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, because I was very young when the first Lord of the Rings came out. I was nine. Yeah, actually, right. literally, I was nine, ten, and eleven when those films yeah. came out. And well, my I was school, my infant school, and my secondary school, not infant, junior school, and secondary school took us to teach to the cinema to go see them as like mm-hmm. an end of year treat and like there was a long film for like a 9, 10, 11 year old to sit through yeah. and I decided I hate them and it was only so normally as a rule when I'm ill I watch Harry Potter I always have last year when my depression hit yeah I was going to say I thought it was when we had Covid but I, it wasn't it wasn't mm, when we had no was it wasn't it? when we had it was Covid it was when my depression hit wasn't it no it was when we had Covid because we were COVID? off work together yes 
when I had COVID last year, I didn't rewatch Harry Potter. I went and I literally ordered about a week before yeah. we got COVID the extended editions of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And I sat every morning and I watched one after the other, the the three Lord of the Rings movies. And as an adult watching them, I cannot, my brain cannot connect the man who made this with the man who made those mm. films. Because they become my new, like, I'm ill movie, I'm going to watch Lord of the Rings mm. now. Because <laughs> fuck you, J.K. Rowling. Um, so much better than Harry Potter, honestly. The movies, like, are way better than the Harry Potter films. But, like, I'm, like, looking at this film and going, this is the man that made one of the most epic film franchises of my generation. Mm. And this was the film that he made before that. Yeah, but it's like... It's It's a weird... Like, my only real comparison for it in terms of, like, career trajectory, I guess, would be Sam Raimi. Because you look at Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi made those three Evil Dead movies. Then he made Dark Man. He made Crime Wave, The Quick and the Dead, Sim- A Simple Plan. No, A Simple Plan is not him. Yes, A Simple Plan is him. And then he made, like, The Gift, which is, like, a serial killer movie. And then he gets handed fucking Spider-Man. And he makes mm. three of, like the most well-known comic book movies of all time. And then he went on and made Drag Me to Hell as a stopgap before he went and made, like, Oz the Great and Powerful. And then he's just made a fucking Doctor Strange movie. Mm. And it's like, you look back at those but movies, I mean, it's like... Sam Raimi had, like, a long career before he got handed yeah. the Spider-Man film. Like, Peter Jackson made, what, like, five films before yeah. he made so, Lord of the Rings? There is a... Nine year gap, I think, between Brain Dead, which came out in ninety two, it's either Brain Dead or Bad Taste came out in ninety two, and then Lord of the Rings came out in two thousand and one. So you're looking at like less than a decade of yeah, going. Yeah, and those from, Lord of like, the Rings films were being filmed for like a good two years. Yeah. Before they got released. Well, I think he literally the Frighteners came out, and then he literally went straight to work on Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, because Lord. Because I think Lord of the Rings was like a three to four year... Like it was a big filming yeah. process. Yeah. I would have given any money to like be a fly on the wall in New Zealand during that time period, though, because apparently the casting directors for Lord of the Rings were just going into like Auckland and yeah. stuff. And basically, if you were tall, they were just like harassing people <laughs> in the street, going, you're coming, you're being in Lord of the Rings, yeah. you're going to play an elf. Like, they were just harassing normal Although... people in the streets. A couple of... Uh, one of the girls I work with, who like actually works my company, is from New Zealand. Mm. Her teacher was in Lord of the Rings as one of the elves. Although, saying that, I don't know what the pre-production process was, because the faculty came out in 98, and... They were scout. They were casting when they were making that movie because that was the movie Elijah Wood, did Elijah Wood made for Dimension, who were like connected to New Line, and that was kind of like how, how he got put up, forward. Yeah. So they must have done a couple of years pre-production and started shooting around about ninety-eight. So yeah, it would have been about a three-year filming process once they'd casted and and got everything going. But yeah, like. Don't get me wrong, it makes it sound like I'm shitting on Peter Jackson and I'm 100% not. It's just one of those fascinating things of like, you look at it and you're like, how the fuck did this happen? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it happens nowadays with like, like how the fuck did Adam Wingard 
coming off of the back of your next and like VHS and the guest get handed fucking Godzilla. Yeah. Like, how did Michael Doherty, whose only directorial film before fucking Godzilla King of the Monsters was fucking Trick or Treat, which again was a massive commercial failure. And like, I'm not judging people by their failures, but like in a in a movie dominated in like in a money orientated industry, like people that don't have proven successful track records are being handed massive fucking and I'm like, you must have so much faith in the fact that, like, I, I think I mentioned this in an episode recently, like, you must have so much faith in the fact that, like, this is a cookie-cutter process that, like, anybody can make these movies, that, like, there's a formula to them. It's like, look at the Marvel movies. Look at, like, Thor The Dark World, directed by Alan, Ta- Alan Taylor, who made a bunch of episodes of Game of Thrones, and then he went on to make, like, the lowest grossing fucking Terminator movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's so... Like, there must be, like, a sense of, like... Okay, we appreciate what you're doing. We're giving you this. But we're also giving you a set of, like, reins. Because we know that, like... These movies are easy to make. And there's very little, like... People will go and see these movies. But, yeah, I I would be absolutely fascinated. And I'm, I'm 100% sure on one of those fucking Blu-rays... There is a making of the Lord of the Rings movies. I would be a hundred percent fascinated to know, like, what the initial pitch meeting mm. between Peter Jackson and like Bob Shea, because again, this is the other thing as well. Like Bob Shea, who owns New Line or owned New Line, they were the fucking film. They were the production company that got famous off of making Freddy Krueger movies. And then they went on to fucking finance and make the Lord of the Rings movies because he bought the rights. And maybe that's why he hired Peter Jackson, because he's like, he started from the bottom like I did. Like, he recognised maybe some kind of, like, punk spirit in him that he had when he started New Line. But yeah, I'd be fascinated to know what the pitch meeting was like between them two. So I didn't know this. Apparently, um, the Lord of the Rings rights were originally owned by Miramax and the Weinsteins. Yeah. And they wanted to make a Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah. And they basically... Peter Jackson and somebody else... I can't find the... Walsh. Basically... Huh? Fran Walsh. Fran Walsh. Oh, his wife. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, In four weeks, they basically managed to get it bought by Mark Odetsky and Robert Shea from New Line. Hmm. So I suppose that's why he ended up directing it was because he was due to direct it with the Weinsteins. Did you ever hear? And then he got it moved over to New Line. Did you ever hear the mental fucking story about how the Beatles tried to buy the rights? Yes, I have. They wanted to make a musical. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that plenty of times. But we're not here to talk about Lord of yeah, the Rings. I realise we but, have spent twenty minutes. But talking I, about I Lord think of the it's Rings. I think it's important though to talk about Peter Jackson's journey, like when you talk about this fucking movie, sure. because. It's just it's just insane. It's just fucking it insane. It's a to weird me. one. Um so let's talk about the frighteners. What did you know about this movie before we saw it? Had you even you heard of nothing. it before I pitched no. it to you? I don't even remember you pitching it to me. I do feel like you went we should do the frighteners. Have you ever seen it? And I went, don't even know what it is, and you went, perfect, we'll do it in that then. Yeah. Like I think that's basically how this became our film for yeah. the second half of this month. Because this is one of the three movies that was originally pitched as a potential Tales from the Crypt film. That makes sense. Uh, as a follow-up to Demon Knight, which fucking rules. 
I don't think it would have been good following Demon Knight because it's vaguely similar. Yeah, do you know what the other two movies that were pitched? No. Um, Death Becomes Her nearly became... Because that's also a Robert Zemeckis film and he actually directed that. That, that is a fucking great film. That nearly became... Uh, that would have been the first one. So that would have been prior to... Because uh, it came out like 94, so it would have been prior to mm-hmm. um, Demon, Demon Knight. And they filmed a couple of different endings to kind of make it more Tales from the Crypty. Um, and then From Dust Till Dawn was the other one that was potentially... So basically they had scripts for films that were already in development. And then they were like, these feel vaguely like Tales from the Crypty. Like these could be Tales from the Crypt movies. And I think of the three of them, this is the one that feels most like it could have been a Tales from the Crypt movie. Like From Dust Till Dawn, I could see it. It's kind of a stretch. And, like, Death Becomes Her doesn't feel horror-y enough. Mm. Although Death Becomes Her does have the weird, like, comeuppance thing that, like, all Tales from the Crypt movies have. Um, so, yeah, this was originally, like, pitched as a Tales from the Crypt, potential Tales from the Crypt movie. Um, I don't think this is the movie that I thought it was going to be. No, it's a really strange film. <clears throat> so, like, I I remember seeing the trailer for this movie as a kid and being like, oh, that sounds like vaguely interesting. I thought the movie was going to be way more lighthearted. I literally thought we were going into this and it was going to be a horror comedy. Mm. And I mean, it kind of is. Like the movie that they sell you on in the trailer is only the movie that it is for about 20 minutes because the trailer sells you on the idea of like Michael J. Fox's character, Frank Bannister being a con man who basically works with ghosts to, like, flush people out of money. And then, like, that's how he gets rich. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, like, the the trailer kind of makes it seem like he then experiences, like, real hauntings. And then he's, like, shit goes sideways. The trailer does not mention, like, anything from the second half of this movie, which I think is really fucking interesting because nowadays it would show you everything. Like if this movie came out tomorrow, there'd be seven trailers and you would know every fucking detail about it. So like all hail the nineties when they kept fucking shit a secret in the trailers. Cause I had no idea that the movie become became what it becomes. So it was really interesting as we were watching it. I mean, you were looking at each other going, um, I mean, I hadn't seen the trailer, so I really went into this blind. Jeffrey Combs, Nazi sex cult, serial killers, natural born killer shit. What the fuck is going on? Like, yeah, this movie becomes a spectral natural born killers at one fucking point. It's so fucking weird. Such a strange film. Yeah. And the casting's weird. Jeffrey Combs' character is just fucking odd. And like, doesn't make sense in the context of the rest of the film. No. Like, everything else, like, I can kind of get on board with it. I'm like, it makes vague sense. Like, I can get on board with this. Jeffrey Combs' character, I'm like, I don't understand why you're in this film. Yeah. Yeah. He, he... And we watched the director's cut, so I don't know if there's more of him in the... Because I, I've... Having never seen the theatrical cut, I don't know what the differences are. I know that this cut that we watched is 14 minutes longer than the theatrical cut. So I don't know how much more of him is in this movie than is in the theatrical cut, or if his character is the same. I don't know. But he's like, from what I gather, he's an undercover FBI agent who, like, went 
too far undercover in some occult shit and then it's turned him evil because he's like seen some shit and it's like fucking made him go wackadoodle. Um that's what I got from his character. Yeah, I don't know. And he, he didn't really he, understand what was going on there. He's basically channeling Jim Carrey for like half of his performance. Oh my god, yeah, he kept pulling such Jim Carrey faces and I was like, what the fuck? I think of all the movies with him in that we've covered so far because uh, we've done From Beyond, Reanimator, and House on Haunted Hill. I think maybe there's one other one, but I can't remember if there is another no, one that's got no. him in. But, like, this is the one where you're just looking at him going, what? Mm-hmm. Like, he goes full Jeffrey Combs. And it's weird, I mean, I was going to say it's weird seeing him in a movie without Barbara Crampton, but she's not in House on Haunted Hill, so that doesn't really track. But, yeah, it, it's just it's just a very odd performance, but... What did you think of this film on your first viewing? Like how like basically going in like Stevie Wonder, like how did you feel that this movie set itself up and then unfolded? Do you know what? It was really fucking fun. Yeah. Like that is one nod I will give this film straight off the bat. Is it was really fun. It's fucking insane. But it was fun. Like Kind of, I like the setup of like uh, Frank being a con man. I think that's really cool. Like the introduction of Lisa, Lucy, Lucy, damn it, uh, of Lucy and like Patricia and her mum. Do you want lose? Do you want lose? Um, like I love all of that. I think it's really cool. They do a really great setup, and then it's just. It feels like you kind of hit the death of her boyfriend. Husband? Boyfriend. No, I thought she was like Lucy's husband. No, because she said... Oh, I thought you were talking about marriage. Patricia's. Like, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, you yeah. hit the death of her boyfriend. And then the film just starts going off the rails. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Like, it properly goes just batshit. And you're like, what the fuck? But in a good way. Yeah. It's it's an unhin it's weird because it's a fucking unhinged movie on like a massive budget. Like you imagine being you imagine giving someone thirty million dollars to make this movie now, like from a major film studio. This movie probably this movie would probably get made by someone like Blumhouse or it would get made by like Shudder and it would be this movie would be a Shudder exclusive now like I can't imagine like fucking Universal or like New Line or someone giving someone 30 million dollars to make this movie now Uh and like that's a testament not only to how fucking insane Peter Jackson is or was but like also like how fucking wild filmmaking was in the 90s like (laughs) You think this opened, like, the same year as films like fucking The Cable Guy and, like, um, when was it, 96? Yes, yeah, so you got, like, Cable Guy. And Talking you... of Jim Carrey. That's a Jim Carrey, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and you've got, like, I'm trying to think if, if this is the same year that Casper came out. Um, anyway, 96 was a, a, a weird, like, weird time for movies. And, like, you think about what it would have been like to go into a cinema having just seen the trailer that shows you the opening part of this movie and then watching this fucking thing unfold in the cinema. Like, yeah, it it's one of those, like, it's one of those movies where I have to applaud it because 
it is just so insane. Um, and like, I want to know where that fucking Peter Jackson is. Like, I get it, man. You've got like 57 Oscars for making the fucking Lord of the Rings movies. And I don't know if he's going to be involved in these new fucking uh, Middle-earth movies that Warner Brothers are making. But I would love to see, now that he's older and he's got that... I feel like he won't be, because I think there was quite a lot of drama around the TV show, because he didn't get invited back yeah. for that. I know it wasn't... Um, it was Anderson, but... wasn't it? But like, I feel like, if he wants to continue making films, I would love to just see him like in his later years, like as he's winding his career down... And he's got all that fucking prestige filmmaking out of his system to just knock a couple more movies like this out. Like, I think it would just be fucking hilarious. Mm. Like, someone like Netflix or Shudder just sign him to a fucking exclusive deal and just go, look, mate, just do whatever the fuck you want. Like, and it makes me wonder, it makes me like lament what his Freddy movie would have been like. Because mm. there's some fucking weird visuals in this movie. And like, there's some really interesting stuff as well, like because not only does it touch upon like the like obviously the setup of the movie is that he's like a con man who can speak to ghosts and like the fact that he like it talks about a lot of different stuff because we're like we're taught as people like about ghosts and like the reality of ghosts or the non-reality of ghosts, but like the general rule is like ghosts can't live on like a human astral plane, like they have like. Once they've crossed over, like, they can only appear, like, briefly. But these guys are, like, living with him. Yeah. And they're, like, hanging out. And, like, it's really cool, like, the idea of, like, him actually having ghost friends who can exist, like, on our mortal plane, like, at all times. And, like, the idea of, like, how that works. And, like, how he... Like, and they... But I love the fact that it doesn't over-explain it. Like, it doesn't explain, like how he became friends with them, how he hired them, how he got them to work with him. Mm. That's already in motion. And I like I like the idea that it doesn't explain that. But I also love the idea of, like, you know, the way that they treat Frank's character with, like, how he can and cannot cross over. There's, like, a couple of scenes in this movie where, like, he starts going in and out of reality. Like, there's an amazing scene towards the end where, like, Patricia is chasing them through the fucking... Host- the dilapidated hospital yes. where the massacre was caused and he's kind of going in and out so he's going in and out of reality like he's there but then like he's also like astral projected into like the hospital the day that the massacre happened and he's seeing everything as it's happening yeah. while also still existing in the physical plane and like there's some really interesting stuff considering this is like a 90s movie with 90s special effects like, they do some really fucking cool stuff in this movie. Yeah, they um, really, really do. And, like, that that stuff to me was, like... I was like, yeah, cool, I'm going to watch this movie and it's going to be this really light-hearted romp. I kind of thought, when we agreed to watch the movie, it was going to be a bit like Casper. You know how, like, in the original Casper movie, the ghosts are like, hey, man, we've got to haunt this fucking family to get this fucking family out of the house. I yeah. thought kind of that's what the vibe of this movie was going to be. I thought it was just him and some ghosts doing, like, some Casper shit. Um, and the movie is so much more. It is. It's surprising as well, because it, it does really go in directions that you don't particularly, particularly expect. Particularly. Particularly. Um, expected to go and you're like oh 
Well, that's that's a thing that has now happened. <clears throat> like, whatevs. It's... And also, like, it's just some of the, like, choices they make. Like, because there was the ghost disappear about 40, 45 minutes before the end of the movie. Yeah. There's a good chunk of this film where the the, the ghosts are no longer His ghost it. mates aren't there. His anymore. ghost mates are no longer there. And like that was a choice was to get rid of those like, like I was like they were major characters. They mm. were they were the fun light hardness of the whole thing. And yeah, they just like get rid of them. Yeah. I also feel like it would have been Chekhov's ghosts, because like they could have obviously would have like I feel like that having them go halfway through raises the stakes because they're not there to like help him. Mm. Um this movie's surprisingly dark. Mm. Surprisingly dark. Like, it's probably the darkest movie I've ever seen Michael J. Fox in. And speaking of 96, this was the same year that Mars Attacks came out. And he played the fucking president in Mars Attacks. Mm. Um, and it's... Because I don't know how familiar you are with Michael J. Fox's career. Not massively. Not massively. Never seen Teen Wolf. Never seen Back to the Future. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, like... It's interesting seeing Michael J. Fox, who's like, he's Marty McFly, he's like the good time guy, in like this more, like, antagonistic role. Because he does start off kind of as a villain, but not really. He's just a dick. He's just an asshole. Yeah. And then he like, but then you find out why he's an asshole. And you're like, okay, this makes sense. Um but yeah, I like I really enjoyed his character. I mean, I think it's hard not to enjoy Michael J. Fox's performance because he is such a fucking good actor, and he is really charming. Like, and that's kind of why everyone loves him because he's like he has like a lovable face. Um, and I think for this kind of role, the the kind of different shades of the character that he shows, it was really interesting to see him go to like some of those darker lengths towards the end of the movie. Um, and like some of the things that he like gets involved in, um, there's some really good physical comedy in this with the ghosts as well. Like the scene where he's at dinner in the fucking fake medieval times looking place with Lucy Excalibur. and like Ray's there, and he's kind of like gives Ray the elbow drop, like the elbow and stuff like that. And like when he's pulling him out of the ground at his funeral, the fucking doctor, not the doctor, the copper sees him. And he's kind of like walking and talking with him. It's really fun. Um, I think the the special effects on the ghosts look great. Um, mm. I think the ghosts, considering this movie's like, what, 26 years old now? 27 years old? That makes sense. Um, yeah, it's like... When it come out? 96, it's 27 mm. years old. So yeah, there's like bits of it where it's like... Mm, but then there are also bits of it like, yeah, those special effects hold up. Like, they're good. Like, it's it's good times. Um, but yeah, like, what did you think of the characters in the movie? Um, I really like Frank. Frank's a really good um, main character. And he's, he is quite likeable. He's a good time boy. He's a good time boy. He's a um, sweet cheese. Yeah, what Simon said. Uh, I really like Lucy. Oh, you have to forgive me. I'm just quite like... Um, who did you like? I really quite like Lucy. Okay. Um, mostly because, like, she is both a little bit useless, but also quite independent. And I'm like, that would be me in this situation. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, I'm a strong, independent woman, but also could you help? Because I am really struggling right now. Yeah. Um, weirdly, I really like Patricia. 
Ah, yeah. Like, not as, like, a person, but I like the character that they created for Patricia. Mm -hmm. And I do like the fact that you do spend part of the movie going, is she actually good? Yeah. Or, it doesn't seem like she's actually evil. That seems silly. It helps that she's played by Dee Wallace, who fucking rocks the shit and everything. Yeah. Um, Jeffrey Coombs' character, I'm just like, why? Dammer, or whatever his name is. Yeah. Um, I'm just literally, it's a, it's a why from me. Mate, Jeffrey Combs is like, he's that guy, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Like, he is like the horror equivalent of Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. But like, if Jim Carrey fucked Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, the main characters I really like. I love the ghosts. I think the ghosts are really funny. I could have done without the scene of Duke fucking a mummy. <laughs> the judge, the judge yeah. fucking a mummy. <laughs> Done without that, it was weird. <laughs> um, <sighs> but aside from that, like, I really like the ghosts. I thought the ghosts were really fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you know, I think the character, all of the characters are really well written. And that's another thing I will give this movie. It's a really well written movie. I mean, it gets weird in places, but as a general rule, it's a really well written movie, and it does kind of keep you guessing. Yeah. Because there was a point when we were watching it where I thought maybe her dad was the frightener, Patricia's dad. Mm. When um, Lucy's at the house and Patricia's all like, oh, it's my daddy's ashes. My mum makes me keep them in here because she says that it's my fault he's dead. Mm. And like, and then you see the ghost come out from the urn. And I was like, holy shit, is her dad the frightener? Yeah. Like, is he attack- attacking people who have like done something wrong in his eyes? And, like, it does keep you guessing yeah. on, like, what's actually going on. It's really well written. It's really quite smartly written as well. Fucking thumbs up, Pete's babes. One thing that I did... I, I don't know if you'll feel the same. I got, like, massive Cemetery Man vibes from it in certain parts. A little well. bit, yeah. Because, like, it's it's a fucking... Like, because Cemetery Man is obviously zombies. And it's Rupert Everett and zombies. Hey, Rupert we covered Everett. it. We covered it. It's fine. Um, just go listen to the episode. And, like, when you kind of see his character at the beginning, like, stalking the cemeteries and talking to the ghosts and stuff, you do kind of get that similar vibe. Yeah. Um, the only thing I was... I was a bit disappointed because I thought... And, like, I can't remember what fucking movie it is when it happens, but it happens in another movie. Um, I thought at the end... Well, towards the end when he was in the cemetery and he saw all of the ghosts... I thought the ghosts of all the victims were going to help him take down Johnny Bartlett. Because mm-hmm. um, there is a movie where that happens, where, like, someone kills a bunch of people and then the souls of the people, like, overtake the person and yeah, they kill them. Yeah, what film is that? Um, I know it happens in Mortal Kombat, because <sighs> Shang Tsung gets all the souls in him. But there is another movie where, like, a bunch of ghosts take over someone and kill them who's, like... I can't remember. But I thought that would have been cool. Like, that would have been the ultimate comeuppance of, like... You know, the way that they get dispatched with the Hellworm is pretty cool. But I was like, oh, this would be cool if, like, he's managed to connect with all the victims and, like, they're now going to help him defeat this guy. Mm. Like, I thought that would have been cool, but potentially maybe a bit too ambitious for the budget that they had. Mm. Um, yeah, like, I thought the, like, I kind of agree with you, maybe it's because we watched the director's cut, but there was a little bit where I was, like, watching it, and I was like, okay, this has dragged on a little bit too long now, and, like, it did, 
Much like Return of the King, it felt like this movie had like three different endings. Like it could have ended at three different points mm -hmm. and it just kept going. Um, I feel like maybe the theatrical cut plays a bit better because it's tighter because it's four, there's 14 minutes of extra footage in the director's cut. Now, I don't know what that extra footage is, having never seen the theatrical cut. So it would be hard for me to say, well, maybe the theatrical cut's better because I don't know if the director's cut footage adds more to the film or the motivations of the characters. It just felt like to me, when you got into the second like ending, when they started running around the fucking hospital and stuff, even though that does have some of the best stuff in the movie, that whole section of the film did play out a little bit too long. Yeah, it just kept going and I was yeah. like, I don't I'm starting to lose interest. And I was like, this has kind of turned into a slasher movie a little bit. Yeah, and Henry Coombs' character coming back at that point I think adds Mate, Henry? Who the fuck is Henry? Oh sorry, Jeffrey. Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> Big Jeff. <laughs> uh, yeah, you say his character coming back. Yeah. Um wasn't necessary and I think added extra time into the film that we didn't really need to be wasting. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like... like... There are a few parts of this film where I'm like, well, you could definitely have shaved that. You could definitely have shaved that. I mean, if I'm being honest, I'd have just cut Jeffrey Combs. Like, I love the man, but I'd have cut his character out completely. Yeah, he didn't need to be there. It was He's just a weird character. Like, there were a few points where I was like, you definitely... Like, I know we watched the director's cut, so there is additional time anyway. But there's like a good 25 minutes to half an hour that I could you could have shaved out of this, even in the director's cut. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you didn't need all of that. You didn't need all of that. Like, that yeah. was unnecessary. And, like, there's plot lines that don't really go anywhere. Because, like, like the plot line with Ray, when he, like, won't let go of Lucy, I was like, there's a whole bunch of unnecessary scenes of him, like, following her around. Mm. And it's like, when he's trying to explain to her that, like, Frank has fleeced them when she's in his house. And I'm like, well, she doesn't see the fucking post-it note. And she doesn't... She, him throwing the post-it note at her, she doesn't see it. She doesn't get the tip-off that Frank's a con man and that he's conned them. So why is that scene in the movie? It doesn't lead to anything. It leads to her going outside, though, and seeing the garden yeah. that he'd built after his wife died. But, like, and there's a bunch of scenes where Ray's just following her around, and I'm like, and then he just kind of goes away. He no, he just, doesn't, he gets killed. Yeah, but, like, that's what I mean. Like, you put those <laughs> scenes of him in just for him ultimately to get killed again. And it's like, his character, once he's died, serves no purpose. Unless you're going to team him up with Michael J. Fox and he's going to become one of his ghost mates or she starts to see him, there's no need to have that character hanging around for like an extra three or four scenes. Um, after the Excalibur scene, he should have gone. Like he shouldn't have been in the rest of the movie. And it's like there's there's little bits in and out with like those ghosts where it's like some of the ghosts get introduced and it's like, I get it, you had a budget, like you put a lot of ghosts in this movie, but like his his character didn't really lead to the main Yeah, the drill bit the drill bit Taylor character as well. Yeah, Arlie Ermy basically playing his full metal jacket and Texas Chainsaw character, like do we didn't really need him in there, yeah. like Yeah, and it's like like as fun as the museum scene is, don't need that. Either. I would have cut the museum scene out as well. Like it's a fun set piece, and it's like it is. It is a it is a fun break before something horrible. Do you know happens. what? I think that was the scene that I was the most tense during, purely because I was fully aware that the cops were shooting at like artifacts. 
Yeah. Not anything else that was going on. I was like, holy shit, there's like actual fucking historical artifacts. And then they start fucking with the mummy and I'm like, no, like that is a really fucking important piece of historical art. Like it's a really fucking piece of important piece of history. Yeah. And I was getting really stressed out. Like, I know it's a film, but I was like, no, you can't just open fire. Like you're destroying ancient fucking items that are like really important to the history of humanity. Why are you doing this? And it was Although, really stressful for me. There is a moment that I would have added in. So the woman that dies, the woman who's like from the newspaper mm-hmm. who dies who he kills in his car, when he sees the ghosts in the cemetery and the man says to him, I want to shake the hand of the Well, no, because she goes, she leaves. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I would have had her in, I would have added her into that scene. But she wouldn't still be there. So everyone that goes into the white light, they cross over. Right. Yeah, I get you now. So they cross over. All of the ghosts are people who haven't mm. gone into the light. They've okay. never crossed over. I was going to say, I would have had, after he defeated the serial killer, I would have had her appear to him at some point and just say, like, I know it wasn't you. Like, Nah. Just, just... I like that she was a bitch in life and died as a bitch. <laughs> she was fucking horrible. She it's, was so It's really funny, horrible. though. She's being sucked up into the light. She's like, you fucking suck. You killed your wife. <laughs> you killed me. This is how you get your kicks. And he's like, Nah, man. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, what? <laughs> She's just a dick. She's like the Gale Weathers of this movie. <laughs> she just fucking sucks. Um, uh, what did you think of the sequel, babe? Like, the teasing of like her seeing the ghost at the end. And like her... Because they kind of tease that maybe she sees... I don't... I don't, wouldn't call it a sequel, babe. Like, it doesn't even tease. Like, sh- I feel like... I just, see, it's one of those weird things because, like, part of me feels like she did see him, but another part of me is like, she just guesses that he was yeah. there to fuck yeah. with Michael J. Fox a little bit. And that's what but I mean. I think it doesn't, wasn't really sequel bait. It wasn't like there was like another demon. It was just like. No, what I mean is, was like, it could have. It, it was like enough of a hook that, like, oh, so they could be like a couple that do this now if we made a sequel. Kind of like that's what what I was saying. Thing is, though, I don't think she'd be okay with cutting people. Yeah. But like you they'd know, have to go legit. Yeah, um, they're doing like some fucking Ghostbusters shit. But yeah, like I love that at the end where it's like, it's it's exactly right because you're like, did she see him? Did she not see him? And like we, because we see him as the audience, we know he's in the car and we know that he's seen him, so we don't know if she's just like messing with him, or if she's like legit, which I think is really funny, and I think like. You know that is a it is a, it is a fun way to, to to end the movie. Yeah. Was there any cons in this movie for you other than the runtime? Mm, I don't think so. You know. No. No. I don't think so. I think overall it was just a really good film. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree it's not the movie i was expecting but sometimes those movies are the best movies like the movies where you're not expecting it to be the movie that you're getting Mm. that's sometimes the movie that like the movies that are the best um so yeah i mean i love the idea of like going into a movie thinking that i'm gonna get one thing and then thinking i'm gonna get another movie um, I have to ask you though, just because we did touch upon it at the beginning of the episode, how do you think this would have held up as a Tales from the Crypt movie? Uh, 
I think it would have worked well, but I think it would have suffered coming out after Demon Knight because they are vaguely, like, reasonably similar. Also, Demon Knight fucking rules. Mm -hmm. Demon Knight is a goat movie. Um, sure. And it's got my friend Billy Zane in it. Um, yeah, I agree. Like, oh, as I was watching it though, I was trying to imagine like a wraparound with the Crypt Keeper, because obviously he would have been in the beginning and the end of the movie, and that's kind of what I was like. I can't imagine this movie having like the Crypt Keeper tag on it, and that was kind of what made me go, yeah, like in theory, it works as like a Tales from the Crypt movie or like episode, but then I'm like. I can't imagine, like, the Crypt Keeper being in it. And also, since we're talking about Tales from the Crypt, and they that and this share a composer, the Danny Elfman score for this movie is fucking legit. Mm -hmm. My dude knocked out the score for this and fucking Mars Attacks in the same year. Mm -hmm. That's why Danny Elfman is... The, and you could tell there are certain bits in this where it's like the, the choral stuff kicks in. And, like, it, it is very much a Danny Elfman score. That's why Danny Elfman is the GOAT. Um, yeah, because I'm like, it. his score is very whimsical and it keeps the movie like with that sense of fucking whimsy to it, mm -hmm. which I love. Um, yeah, I really, really, really enjoyed the score for this. I'm probably like, when I'm working from home, going to be listening to it at some point. Um, but yeah, Danny Elfman, what a fucking legend. What a guy. Um, so yeah, what are your final thoughts and your score for The Frighteners, please? So I really enjoyed this film. I wasn't expecting to. I'm not gonna lie to you. I was expecting to hate it, uh, but I actually really fucking enjoyed it. I thought it was super fun. Oh, oh my god! Um, it loses its mind a little bit in places, which kind of annoys me to a degree. It defo could have been shorter. Yeah. But overall, like it's it's relatively harmless as a film. It's quite fun to get through. Um, I'm probably gonna give it a four. Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. Um, it's one of those weird, wonderful, like, wacky movies that, like, is kind of like a product of its time and kind of proves why the 90s was so fucking good for, like, horror movies. Do you know a movie that did come out the same year as this that I completely forgot about? What? Fucking Scream. Scream came out the same year as this. Hmm. So, so, yeah, like, this and Scream in the same fucking year is, like, insane to me. Because um, Scream's a very straightforward film, whereas this is like anything but straightforward. Um, so yeah, I I kind of I think I'd agree with you. I would say like I would probably give it like a four out of five because it it kind of is like the last throes of like who Peter Jackson was and before he became the Peter Jackson that everyone knows him for. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's nice to see if, like, if he never makes another movie like this ever again, like, it's really fucking fascinating to look back at this movie and go, holy shit, man, this is like the movie before he became the guy. Um, but like having seen this as his only like real horror movie that you've seen of his, how do you think like he injected horror into Lord of the Rings. Because I think there's some quite scary scenes in Lord of the Rings. And I think it's kind of interesting seeing him put horror elements into Lord of the Rings after this. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. 
I, I would agree with you on that. Do you know what though? I think big this is the ass kind of spider fight. Yeah, big ass spider fight. This is the kind of film that like I would go back and rewatch this. Like I feel like I'd go on my list of like stuff of like I'm working from home or like I'm not feeling too hot. I would quite happily sit and watch it. watch it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's our thoughts on the Frighteners by Sir Peter of House Jackson. Uh, that Sauron ass looking ass motherfucker. Sauron ass bitch. Um, yeah, so have you guys seen the Frighteners? Like, Frighteners? The Frighteners? The Frighteners. If you have, what do you guys think of it? If you haven't, like, are you going to go and check it out? Would you check it out? Like, what do you think of Peter Jackson? What do you think of Lord of the Rings? Let us know. Like, let's talk about these things. You know where to find us. Social media, S-I-M-A-H-F pod. So I'm married a horror fan. All lowercase, all one word. And we have a new website set up as well. It's called www.howmanyyawnscanleedoperepisode.com. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, I'm, I'm really knackered at the moment. So we're going we're gonna to tally up the yawns per episode. That should be the new drinking game. Every time Lee yawns in an episode, you take a drink. We record late at night, okay? I am sleepy. Um, so, yeah, don't forget, this is our last episode for March. So, as of this Friday... No, as of next Monday, we will be kicking off our April programming, which is because it's Lee's birthday month. All of the films in April were chosen by Lee, who is about to tell you what all of those movies are right now. Oh, no, don't do this to me. Okay, so April is my month. So episode one on the 3rd of April will be The Bride of Chucky. Episode two on the 9th of April will be our 555 on the scariest moments in family. That's the 7th. Horror. Oh, I can't read. Uh, episode we got on the 10th of April on my birthday it is Crimson Peak. Fuck yeah. 17th of April it is A Wounded Fawn. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Josh Rubin. 21st of April it will be... Crossing the stream. Crossing the stream with blood family. Blood relatives. Blood relatives. Fuck, oh, I can't read tonight. Also Josh Rubin. Whoop, 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 whoop. And on the 24th of April, we are rounding out the month with Tucker and Dale versus Evil. We will also be bringing you episodes on... Another episode on the 21st of April on the Evil Dead Rise. And we will also be bringing you another episode... I think around about the 14th on Renfield. Uh, I'm not entirely sure on the dates for those just yet. I think The Evil Dead is definitely going to be day of release date because I am planning to go and see that on the day of release. And I think Renfield will be the weekend of release. So you'll be looking at around about the 15th. So it'll be coming out kind of coinciding with our Wounded Fawn episode. So that's everything that we're looking at in April. This has been March. Uh, we did a lot of quality stuff for this month. Um, you know, this month we looked at Blood Diner, Scream 6, House, The Frighteners. You also got bonus episodes on Infinity Pool and Pearl. So we hope you guys enjoyed those. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you, as always, for all of your continued support. Um, we love you guys and we wouldn't be able to do this without you guys. So, yeah, come find us on social media. Come talk to us. Uh, let's just chat about Peter Jackson. Let's chat about the Peter Jackson, Ryan Gosling beef. Let's do it. Um... So, yeah, come find us and uh, we'll do all of those things. And, um, yeah, it'll be great. So, you know, enjoy that. And, 
yeah, have a good time. See you later. Stay spooky. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.